The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. Come on, let's get into the Word of God. You want to get into the Word of God? We're getting into the miracles of the book of John. Uh, We're starting a series. We started it last week called There's a Miracle for Your House. And, um, and today we're going to be looking at the first miracle, which is the miracle of turning water into wine. And uh, this morning, you're going to see how incredible this miracle is and, and the messages and the symbolism that's in this miracle is unbelievable. So if you have your Bibles, please open up to John chapter 2. And we'll read the miracle from John chapter 2, the turning water into wine. So this is what it says. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, And when they ran out of wine. You know, we can read that in one line, but you've got no idea of the trauma that that would have caused the groom, whose whole reputation in that town was going to be based on how well they did the wedding. You've got to understand that in those days, a wedding was just a a cultural event for the town. And, And so they'd be talking about it for ages. Matter of fact the way that you did the wedding was going to be connected to the way that people were going to talk about you. And so imagine this. You have your wedding in your town and everybody in the town knows you and you run out of wine. That message would have been perpetuated for the rest of the couple's lives. It would have been the most embarrassing thing. Oh, yeah, we remember you you guys. We remember you. You're the one who ran out of wine at the wedding. And that would have been their name for the, oh, Joseph, the one who ran out of wine at their wedding. That's it. You know, the people who you know, ran out of wine. And so we're talking huge embarrassment. And so here's... Uh, so, so now when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus, how many of you know that mothers are always the most compassionate of people? Uh, and wives, yeah, especially if they're mothers. They, she turns to Jesus and she says, they've got no wine. And Jesus, now, now, now when Jesus responds to Mary, please, when we read it in our Bible, it sounds so disrespectful. But if you read it in the original, there's no disrespect there. There's absolutely no disrespect. I mean, when you read, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. I mean, that sounds so disrespectful. How dare you speak to your mother like that? But Jesus was referring to the fact that his hour was coming. And his hour was the hour when he would shed his blood. Folks, there is so much symbolism and connection here with wine, blood. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about how, you know, let, let me just give you insight. Water, wine, blood. Water, wine, blood. I mean, just giving you a bit of insight into where we're going this morning because there's so much symbolism in this. And when Jesus was referring, my hour has not come, He's referring to the hour when he's going to shed his blood for the salvation of humanity. His mother said to his servants, whatever he says to you, do it. 
In a moment, we're going to be looking at how that phrase alone is the key to miracles. You want miracle in your life? Underline that phrase. Because the mother of Jesus knew that the key to miracles was whatever he says to you, do it. Now, there were uh, set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So let's talk about this for a little while. What does that, what does that look like? Well, a gallon is something like 3.7 litres. So six water pots of 120, uh, we're talking something like 120 to 180 gallons, works out to about 650 to maybe 680 litres. We're not, we're not talking about a small amount. And, um, and so Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And here it is, did exactly what Jesus said. They filled it to the brim. How many of you know that when God tells you to do something, you don't do it halfway. You do it all the way. Because you know what? If they'd only filled it halfway, they would have only got half a miracle. If they'd only filled it three quarters of the way, they would have only got it three quarters of a miracle. You know what they decided? Let's fill it to the top, to overflowing. And that's how they got their full miracle. Um, and he said to them, draw some now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. Guys, isn't it? Can I just say to you that when you serve, you get close to miracles. And so often what happens is that there are too many people that remain observers. And they observe from a distance. But those who serve in the house of God get to experience miracles. Matter of fact, when I first employed Sandra, year 2000, she came to work for me as my personal assistant, executive assistant, and overcoming and overseeing overcoming. That's a Freudian slip. Overseeing the finances of the church. I said to Sandra, Sandra, you know one of the joys of your job that you get front row seat to miracles. I said, what you are going to see is how God is going to provide for our church miraculously. And because you sit in that chair, you will get front row seat to miracles. And over the last 70 year, 17 years, how many miracles have you seen, Sandra? All the time. And it's like, she's front row seat to miracles. And that's these servants. They got front row seat to miracles. Why? Because they were willing to obey. They were willing to do. They got front row seats to miracles. I love that. Come on, get involved. Don't be a spectator. Be a participant in the work of God and you'll get front row seat to miracles. So when the master of the house tasted the water that was made into wine, did not know the servants knew, um, uh, called the, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he's the bridegroom, you know, he's sort of... Yeah, what's happening? <laughs> what's going on? And so he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. When the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But not you, my friend. You are awesome, Mr. Groom. You're, you, you're an amazing groom. You have kept the good wine until now. He's going, yeah, that's me. Huh? I'm, I'm the best groom in town. Now my reputation is forever changed. 
Now I will not be known as the groom who ran out of wine, but the groom who saved the best wine to last. Come on. What a miracle is this? What a miracle of joy. What a miracle. But, let, but, but you know what I want to unpack for you today is that this is the miracle of conversion. And it's the first miracle. In verse 11, it says, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. What we see here is that in this first miracle, in this first miracle is a prophetic sign of what Jesus came to do. This first miracle is so simply the turning of water into wine. But the best way to describe the turning of water into wine is the miracle of conversion. And that's the prophetic message that Jesus came to do. He came to convert us. He came to transform us. He came to take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. He came to take the natural and make it miraculous. That's the power... Prophetically, in this first of miracles, is the seedbed of all the miracles that God wants to do in your life. He wants to come and bring transformation. But before we get to that, let me just start with number one, the key to the miraculous. And the key to the miraculous is what Mary said to the servants. Whatever he says, you do it. So the key to the miraculous is number one, obedience. Everybody say obedience. It's through obedience. That's the key to the miracles. That's the key to the presence of God. That's the key to anything in God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments in John 14, 15. Matter of fact, the the, the whole tenure of, of making disciples is to go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then teaching them to obey All things that I've commanded them. And so here's the bottom line of Christianity is obedience to God. Obedience to God. Can I just say here today is that I don't get intimidated by what the world says. I don't get intimidated by what the news media says. I don't get intimidated by by the forces that are at play, that that stem from the pit of hell to try to, to, to actually direct us down an ungodly path. I'm a servant of God. My, my, first, my first call in life is to obey God. You're servants of God. You obey God. And can I tell you that if you obey God, you will always win? Yeah. It doesn't matter what, what it looks like right now. Seriously, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You might have run out of wine. It looks terrible. It doesn't matter. It's not the end of the story. It's only a part of the story. And how many of you know that every story needs twists and turns? A story without twists and turns is a boring story. How many of you have discovered that? Say, but but I don't want my story to be like that. I I like boring in my story, some of you are saying. Give me more boring. but, But you know what? You need testimonies of God's provision, of God's intervention, of God being able to come through. 
And you know what? The greatest testimonies are when you're at the brink and everything says, shake and fear and tremble. And God comes in with this incredible breakthrough. Folks, this is the test for you. Are you going to back down when you get to the edge? Or are you going to stand your ground, turn your face like flint and say, God is bigger than this giant. God is bigger than my challenge. It might look bad now, but the end of the story has not yet come. I got a breakthrough coming. Got a breakthrough. Obedience. Here's the second thing that's the key to to, the miraculous is alignment. Who are you aligning yourself with? Do you know who I'm aligning myself with? I'm aligning myself with God. I'm aligning myself with the will of God. John, what's your will? My will is to do the will of God. That's called alignment. But you've got precious. People want you to do this. People want you to do that. Absolutely. But you know what? I set my face like flint and I say, God, what's your will for my life? Because I want to align myself with the will of God. Thy will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Come on. If you, if, if you align yourself, walk in obedience, you open yourself up to miracles. Why is that? Because God's going to back you every single time. God's going to back those that have aligned themselves. And he's number three. Key to a miracle. Here it is. Some of you are not going to like this, but Desperation. How many of you know that sometimes God paints us into a corner to make us desperate? So we cry out to him. Why is that? Because we're human and the default response for us is that we try to do it ourselves. Isn't that right? Can I just say to you, when they'd run out of wine, the default response for the groom would have been, well, let's go buy some wine. Come on, let's do it ourselves. Let's let's send them out. There was no... Probably they'd run out of wine in Cana. There was nothing available because I guarantee that everybody's default response when they're in the jam is, what can I do myself? And you know what? I've got no problems with that. But you will get to a point where you just can't do any more yourself. And you get to that point of desperation and say, God, I can't do any more myself. I need a miracle. And God paints you. And you know what? We squirm and we complain when God paints us into a corner because we hate being at a place of desperation. How many of you enjoy being at a place of desperation? Uh, We hate it. We just hate it. But God actually gets us there so he can show us the miraculous. So he can show us the breakthrough. So everybody now, I want you to say this. I'm not going to complain about desperation again. Oh, yeah, nobody's going to say that <laughs> because, because you know it's going to come. Okay, so they're, they're the keys to a miracle. It's obedience, alignment, desperation. As long as your desperation turns you to God and not away from God. Come on, I, I want to put uh, just, just a clarification there because what happens with some people when they get to desperation they blame God they walk away from God they curse God and and here's Job saying you know uh, his wife saying curse God and die and his attitude is though he slay me yet will I praise him what an incredible difference when in desperation who can I tend to but God let's let's move into water into wine the miracle of conversion I love this. So let's, let's talk about this because there's so much symbolism. There's, when, you dig, when you dig a little bit deeper into this miracle, there is so much symbolism. He, why, why did John say this was the first miracle? 
Well, because it's so symbolic. It's the miracle of conversion. But, but he's the miracle. I mean, they could have picked a lot of things to, to, uh, to make uh, the, the, the conversion. But why water into wine? Oh, wine has so much symbolism in the New Testament. What did Jesus have on the Last Supper that he held in a cup and he presented to the people and he said this, here it is, the wine. He held the wine in the cup and he says, this is, this is the blood of the new covenant. And so the symbolism in the Bible of wine has to be connected with the blood of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, on, on Sundays in churches all over the world, they take the wine. And they present it to the people and they say, this is the blood of the covenant that was shed for you, for the remission of your sin. And so you cannot ignore the fact that that wine is connected to blood, which is connected to salvation. And, And you can't ignore the fact that there's so much that's connected with wine, there's symbolism in the book of John. So when we get to John 15, Jesus is talking about being connected to the vine. And where does wine come from? Well, it comes from grapes that grow from a vine. And there it is. We've got to be connected to the vine who is Jesus. And then we bear fruit. But here it is. Even when we bear fruit, in order to get the wine, you've got to crush the fruit. There's got to be a crushing that takes place. How many of you love the wine, but you don't like the crushing? How many of you love the salvation, but you don't love the pathway there, which is the crushing? And too often what happens is this, is that before salvation comes to people, they've got to go through a crushing, a place of desperation. They hate that, but it's the place of submission and the place of of being defeated in ourselves so we can call out to God. And you know what I find with so many people is that they only get saved when they're in a place of desperation. It's interesting. You do a survey of people. Do a survey. And this is what you find. When were you saved? And so, um, and so a whole bunch of people say, I got saved when I went to children's church. How many of you, how many of you, how many of you are like that? The first time you heard the gospel was in children's church. Give me a wave if, if you went to Sunday school. Come on, give me a wave if you went to Sunday school. Wow, that's awesome. Give me a wave if you didn't go to Sunday school. Yeah, it's about a third. So, so those of you that are a third... What I do then, I ask them, so when did you get saved? And and the response is, at a time of turmoil in my life, at a time of incredible suffering, I was going through a really tough time, and the gospel came to me. And how many of you that didn't go to Sunday school, that got saved later on, got saved at a time of turmoil? There you go. So how many of you have not lifted up your hands yet? Because we'll give you an opportunity at the end of the service to get saved. (laughs) And uh, your time is coming, glory to God. Your time is coming, and it could be today. It could be today, glory to God. So this is what I find, is is that in the crushing, God brings transformation. In the crushing, God brings something beautiful and something sweet. So something sweet, here it is, something sweet. Something that's full of joy comes out of the crushing. When you're a grape and you're being crushed, you don't think anything good's going to come out of it. You're just complaining. But God's able to bring something good and something sweet out of it. Can I just talk to you about the symbolism of the water pots for a little while? Are you ready for the symbolism of the water pots? 
Here it is. There were six water pots. You know what's fascinating about the number six? Is that the book of Revelation actually calls the number six the number of man. So you know know this verse in uh, Revelation chapter 13 verse 18. Uh, Who knows the number of man? Six, six, six. Oh, now you know the verse. But the reason that six is called the number of man is because God created man on the sixth day. And so there's symbolism in the water pots. There's, so six represents humanity. There's man. And, what, and, and then the Bible says, and they were water pots made out of stone. And there's got to be connection there when we begin to see man, stone. And, and, and there's, this, there's this verse in the book of Revelation, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 26, where there's a prophecy that says God's going to take the heart of stone, make it into a heart of flesh. And there's, there's a prophecy about transformation, about conversion. Can you see the connection here? He's six water pots made out of stone. And then the water pots were used for purification. And so he's these water pots used for purification. But the problem with the purification is that it didn't last. So you go and you wash your hands and that's, that's done. And wow, we're purified for a moment and all of a sudden I'm dirty again. So we go back and we try to purify again and, and it's done. And then after a moment, you're, you're dirty again. And, and can you see the message that out of these, these water pots of purification, wine was going to flow, which is the symbol of blood, which purifies us not for one time and then you have to be purified again, but purifies us forever and ever. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins, not for one time, but forever and ever and ever. And then, and then I love this, this whole thing of, of, uh, of the gallons. Why is that? Because the amount of wine that Jesus produced that day just to give you some sort of insight. Are you ready for some sort of insight of, of, of how much wine Jesus produced? You could have got 5,000 glasses of wine out of what Jesus produced that day. When you calculate the, the, the gallons, six uh, water pots, and, and, and we're talking somewhere between uh, uh, 600, 600 litres, and, and then you, you, you work out how many drinks you get out of a litre of wine. I, I did the calculation, folks. Just trust me on this. About 5,000 glasses of wine. How many of you know that that, that feast could not have drunk 5,000 glasses of wine, especially after the first lot had already been drunk? I, I, you know, and, and Jesus wasn't going to condone drunkenness right there. But what does this speak of? Oh, I'm so glad that you asked that question. Because when God does a miracle, he's not the God of just enough. <laughs> Come on, give, give me some feedback. He's not, ju- he's not the God of just enough. He's the God of more than enough. That's his name. I'm the God of more than enough. And when God does something for you, it's not just to get you just over the line. He gets you way over the line. And, and when we see the miracles of provision where, where he fed the 5,000, there were leftovers. When he fed the 4,000, there were leftovers. When God does a miracle, it's above and beyond. And not only that, he didn't give cheapskate wine either. <laughs> he, he didn't. When he makes a miracle, it's the best. 
It's the best. Come on, some of you are at the verge where you need a miracle. And I want to encourage you that God wants to give you a more than enough miracle. A more than enough miracle. Where the world looks back and says, why, why did you get it and I didn't get it? How did that happen? How did that, how did that fall into your lap when it didn't fall into my lap? Because he's the God of more than enough. Come on, God wants to do a miracle. Just let me finish this morning by talking to you about the miracle of conversion. The miracle of conversion. Because it's the miracle of conversion that's the focus of this miracle. The transformation power of God. I want you to say it. The transformation power of God. I believe in a God that's able to transform a sinner and make that sinner into a saint. And that's the transformation power of water into wine. A sinner into a saint. It's prophetic. It's Jesus coming in with his first miracle saying, he's the greatest miracle. The most important of all me. Oh, you want healing? That's great. I can provide that. You want to see? Well, that's great. But more important than you being healed and you seeing is you being saved. And here it is, the first miracle is the miracle that that's, that's encapsulates conversion. Sinner to saint. Death to life. See, we were destined for death. But Jesus said, I'm going to transform your death and give you life. Lost to found. I, I love you know, John Newton's great old hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am See, there's the transformation of just wandering around in a lost state. Wondering, which is the direction? And God finding you, and all of a sudden, now you have direction. That brings me to, to, to so many people that are directionless. But the, but the miracle is that God gives you direction. How many of you remember when you were going through life directionless? And everybody then is telling you what the direction is in life. Okay. So you're directionless. Well, let me tell you what the direction is in life is. Well, you know, you get married, you have a house, you have kids, you educate them, you put some money in super so you can retire and you can be comfortable when you die. <laughs> That's the direction. Is that it? That's the direction. Come on. What about a meaningful life? Where, wherever you go, you change the atmosphere. Wherever you go, you make a difference. You know, one of the things that I love is this, that when John Giuliano comes into a room, he changes the atmosphere of that room. It might be a room full of negativity and despair, but when John Giuliano walks into that room, we turn it around, we make it positive. You know, the, well, you know, we might come into a room and, and people are thinking there's, there's despair and hopelessness. I come into a room and I say, no, I'm bringing Jesus in and he gives hope and he gives direction. This is not the end. God's got this. God's going to turn this around. God's got an answer. It might look desperate, but it's not the end of the story. God hasn't finished with you yet. He's only putting you into a corner where he can bring a miracle into your life. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? I love, I love this whole thing of being bound. And then the transformation is where you get set free. So many people going through life bound. Just bound. Bound and full of grief and full of pain. I don't know how many people that over the years have come to church 
And, and, and this is their response to me. Pastor John, every time I come to your church, I just cry. I just cry. And I say, it's okay. I says, but I don't want to cry. I'm not forcing you to cry. My jokes aren't that bad. It's got nothing to do with me. It's about the presence of God. Just coming into somebody's life and, and touching them and, and exposing the pain. But God's, in exposing the pain, bringing healing. And there's healing in the crying. And there's joy in the crying. You know, I had lunch with, with, uh, with a whole bunch of people last Sunday. And just across the table from me was, was a young lady. And I can still remember when she first came to our church, she wouldn't just cry. She would literally mourn. And you'd hear her in church just mourning. Just, just, and it was like everybody's sort of freaking out or getting embarrassed. But I wasn't getting freaked out or embarrassed. Why is that? Because God was touching her and healing her. Then she became my Facebook friend and... And, uh, and, and, and I went uh, to write something on her Facebook and I saw the, a song that she would had written. And, and she's, she's got this. And I thought, oh, I'm going to listen to this song. And it touched my heart. It so touched my heart because in this song is a testimony of how God had come and healed her heart as she surrendered to him and started to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. He's come in and healed her. And what a joy, what a joy it is to do life with people who are being transformed by the power of God. See, God turns, takes your rejection and he turns it into acceptance. And I love that about God. He takes your insignificance and makes you significant. But what you've got to do is hand it all over to him. He paints you into a corner where you become desperate. When you become desperate, you begin to call upon the Lord. God, I've reached the end of the line here. I don't know what more to do. And God says, I've got the answer. Give me what you've got. What have you got? Well, I've just got water. Just give me your water. I'm just a stone water pot. Give me your stone water pot. What you've got, give to me. And I'll transform it. And I'll turn it into wine. And I'll turn it into something of joy. Yes, we're at a point in the feast where the groom is grieving and desperate. But God turned it around where the feast became a place of joy. It was never meant to be a wedding of grief. It was always meant to be a wedding of joy. It had become a wedding of grief because they'd run out of wine. But Jesus came in, turned the grief into joy and said, I'm turning your hopelessness into hopefulness. I'm turning a your despair and I'm giving you hope and that my friends is the miracle of turning water into wine thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge we invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources <laughs>